Think of a social cause that you care about. Maybe it's fighting racial injustice, pushing for gender equality, mental health advocacy, LGBTQ plus rights, ending hunger and homelessness, climate action, the list goes on. Now think about why you care about that issue. Did you or someone you know experience hardships related to it? What emotions do you feel when you think about this issue? If you feel strongly about a cause, you might feel inclined to make an impact by engaging in activism. But what does it mean to be an activist? What does it mean to be deeply engaged in a social cause? These are the questions that we're going to be answering on this episode of Operation Climate, joined by Jamal Burns. Welcome to Operation Climate, the one-stop shop for environmental issues that matter to Duke and Durham community members. We're a podcast run by Duke University students aiming to inform and empower Duke at large to create lasting change in the fight against climate change and environmental degradation. This season, we're focusing on climate activism and activism in general. Today, we are joined by Jamal Burns. Jamal is originally from St. Louis, Missouri, and is a current senior at Duke, studying history with a concentration in women and sexuality studies. Much of Jamal's work focuses on making education more equitable for systemically neglected populations. He conceives of activism as a community-oriented project that is fundamentally inclusive. My name is Catherine. I'm Georgie. And welcome to Operation Climate. Today we are joined by the wonderful Jamal Burns, who is a senior at Duke majoring in history. And he is one of the people that I think of when I think of the word activist. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jamal. Thank you for having me. Like I said before, today we're going to get into the heart of the question, what does it mean to be an activist? What does it mean to really be engaged in a social cause? And to start off with this, let's learn a little bit more about you. What specific work have you been doing recently? Like, I guess a little pre-pandemic and then um, since that started. Yeah, that's a good question. So pre-pandemic, a lot of the work that I've been doing was semi-institutional through Duke and then external to Duke as well. So I helped co-found and was the president of an organization for low-income first-generation students on campus. Um, That organization is called Duke Life. And a later subsequent office was built within the university to kind of meet the needs of students um, who identify as low-income and or first-generation. So that was a kind of a long and tiring process. And honestly, it took about three years. So since the beginning, since I entered the institution, I was kind of working on that. I also named that organization and it was kind of an arduous battle. But then, of course, we have to understand that activism doesn't really work um, just solely in an institutional microcosmic level. Um, And a lot of the work that I've been doing outside of that has been working on culturally relevant pedagogical models, specifically STEM models. So I, I worked on a curriculum last year, my junior year, uh, that was uh, electrical and computer engineering curriculum, which is interesting because, you know, I'm a historian, right? I'm a history major, but I found the opportunity to do that and kind of understand and like look at where we were implementing it in Durham public schools and say, okay, so in this region, um, we see that 
lower income minority students do not participate in upper level STEM classes. So how can we tailor this curriculum to be more inclusive and inviting? Um, so those were some of the pre-pandemic things. Post-pandemic, a lot of the work that I've been doing have, has been on educating individuals around police abolition and, and prison ab- abolition and working on projects that way. So could you speak about your journey with these causes and why you decided to engage with these issues at a deeper level? Yeah, I definitely can. I think for me, it begins with understanding that we live in a system of inequity and that comes from kind of my upbringing. So I identify as low income. I've lived below the poverty line my entire life. So it was something that I didn't really think about consciously because when everyone around you exists in the same state, like you believe that state is normal. Um, But kind of when I started to get exposed to individuals from different areas of society, so around high school and things of that nature, I started to notice that there were larger discrepancies that hinder certain populations from achieving. And for me, that looked like the form of education. So a lot of the work that I have done has been related to education. And yeah, so that's where I kind of started with that. Awesome. So I guess in a a general sense, then what motivates you to make an impact? Is it um, like getting down to the specific feelings that you have? Oh, that's a good question. I think the foremost emotion that I have is urgency, right? It's, It's the acknowledgement that the world that we live in is vastly changing and could end very soon with the kind of direction that we're moving. And with that, it's kind of like, how do I make this society like better for the lived and the now? And I don't really think in terms of futurism. So a lot of people will say for my kids or for my grandkids, like I don't really think in terms like that just because I think that negates the fact that there are lived populations currently who rely on certain material existences that rely on um, kind of the work that needs to be done in the here and now. Like we can't just always think of futuristic terms because then the goal is almost always in sight, but never reached. Um, so that's that's one of the emotions that I feel the most is urgency. The other is probably empathy and sympathy and compassion is just understanding that um, where I'm coming from as an individual, the privileges and the the disadvantages that I have, um, the oppressions that I hold, and just kind of working in that framework of empathy and understanding working alongside people um, rather than for people. Yeah, um, just a quick comment. When you were talking about that sense of urgency, it made me think of a lot of the way that people frame the climate crisis. A lot of the time, the main motivations for people to care about this is because of future generations. But like you said, it's important to realize that the climate crisis and the issues that come along with it are affecting people right now in this day and age. So definitely, I thought that was a great point that you brought up. So in a broader sense, um, just in terms of like activism in general, uh, from your perspective, what makes a movement and what do you think inspires a massive ignition in the momentum of a movement? Like we saw this summer with Black Lives Matter. 
That is a great question. I think historically, this is where I think my actual like sort of discipline comes in, is that a movement is sustained and a movement is organized. And I think that's something that we've seen a lot with recent years, especially Black Lives Matter, is this kind of recurring movement and it has um, kind of ebbs and flows and it's an intermittent thing um, because individuals come in and they have all of this energy after the result of let's say a murder most of the time, right? By, by the police. And that's great. And it's not to delegitimize that as not being a legitimate movement. But I think it's to say that that form of movement is relatively new, right? It's, it's propagated by the social media ignition, the social media kind of world that we live in, where in the past, people had to organize for months to do a march, right? And I think that's where we're missing is that grounded sense of organization. Um, And it doesn't need to be through bureaucratic lenses. I'm not saying we need to go through bureaucracy, but I'm saying that in order for something to be truly sustained and truly a a mass movement, it has to be something that results in change and something that is sustained. And right now, a lot of the Black Lives Matter businesses that we saw over the summer, they, they resulted in very, very micro level changes in policy, but nothing to a larger scale. And maybe that's just like me because I have a large imagination that I want things to be changed radically, but it is a start. And I think that it has the potential to be like something even a lot larger than it is. So when you're, when you were talking about sustaining a movement and thinking back to the massive ignition and momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement that we saw in the summer you know, on social media, I saw a lot of non-Black people who weren't affected by racial injustice issues. Maybe they were actively engaged in the movement at the beginning, maybe because they felt things like sadness or anger or fear or other emotions. But a lot of those times, those emotions don't last, especially when you're not someone who is personally affected by those uh, issues. And so with this in mind, what would you like to say to those individuals who aren't personally affected by an issue to get them to you know, keep that movement sustained and get them to keep doing the work? That's really great. I like the way you frame that because you framed it around individuals having energy based off of the temporality of emotions. And so I think that the first thing that I would say based on that construct of your framing is to say that although your emotions around this issue may be temporary, the conditions in which your emotions were born are permanent and have been permanent, have been substantiated by historical evidence. And so that's the first thing is to say, like, you know, you may have this temporary emotion and feeling, but the reason you have the emotion is and has been a permanent part of American existence. Um, The second thing is to say that Recognizing your own privilege is kind of a complicated process. So it's to understand that unlearning and decolonizing kind of the knowledge base that you have is a lifelong process. It is not something that is temporary and just happens in an on-off switch. And it may be jarring to look at the world that you've grown up in and that you've seen as kind of this idyllic society and then have that kind of shifted. So it doesn't need to be a process that is, you know, overnight you go from like conservative to like an abolitionist. But I think just the process of unlearning being uh, a permanent process or a lifelong process goes to show that 
these issues and movements need to be sustained because your learning and your unlearning needs to also be a sustainable thing. So it doesn't have to all happen all at once. So, and then for the people who just kind of did it for the summer, did it for the clicks or, you know, that's sad. Um, that's, that's, I don't know how to reach those people yet, but it's something that definitely is disheartening for me. And I guess just to directly bounce off of that, what is your perspective on digital activism and the rise of like performative activism, especially like um, you're just talking about with Black Lives Matter? Uh, Do you think that it um, is better than doing nothing or does it actually do harm? That's a good question. I think it depends. I definitely don't think that it is net negative. Um, I think that it kind of paints this picture of the society that we're talking about, like this very hyper-capitalistic society, because it goes to show that people do things for an end, right? They use activism as a means to an end to climb up a social ladder or to be relevant in a social group and things of that nature. And that is ultimately, I changed my mind, that is not negative. (laughs) Because that goes to show that they're perpetuating a system in which they're critiquing only to kind of exist within it for, for like, you know what I'm saying? Like they are perpetuating a system they're critiquing if they're only doing it for performance. And that's a problem for sure. But I think that doing nothing is even more of a problem because if you do absolutely nothing, like you're not even engaging, you're not even acknowledging anything, at least people who do performative activism, I'm convinced that they believe a little bit of like the performativity that they're kind of giving off. Right. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but like both kind of are bad. And um, digital activism is something I would put in a separate category than performative activism because the internet is a wonderful tool for connecting people and for disseminating knowledge. But I also, what angers me the most about digital activism, and then I'll say a positive thing, is people usually only share information in their microcosmic circles. So people who will already have access to similar levels of information. um, And that's a problem. And that's kind of an inherent issue with social media. If something doesn't go incredibly viral, then you're just retweeting a post that all of your friends have already seen. So it's like, how are you engaging with individuals who may not have the same knowledge base or access to information as you? The second thing is that that same level of access that I'm kind of critiquing is becoming more widely available for individuals. And that's great. So I think digital activism has its pros and has its cons, but I want to urge people to go kind of outside of that digital bubble to engage meaningfully with communities. Kind of moving on to a different topic now, but kind of related. When we go on social media, it's really easy to quote unquote doom scroll. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I definitely have is when you, you see bad news after bad news, you uncover all of these systemic injustices and you're learning so much about how the world is like horrible. And that can have an impact on mental health and wellness. So can you speak a little bit about taking care of your own mental health and wellness while being an activist? A hundred percent. My favorite quote, literally, I say this quote probably once a day, is by Audre Lorde. And it says that self-care is not indulgence. It is a form of preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. And when I think about that quote, it really goes to show that our bodies have been politicized in such a way to 
kind of inculcate this idea of work, 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 don't stop, continue to uncover, and then it exhausts us. And the capitalist machine wants to exhaust us. So when we take the moment to step back and to say, I acknowledge for now my capacity is at a certain level. And so maybe I won't doom scroll today, or maybe I won't engage in this meeting or something like that. That's not disengaging from the realities that exist. It's acknowledging that those realities have an effect on you. And it's acknowledging that those realities will continue to have effect on others around you. So it's okay for, for me, like when I think about activism, rest has to be a fundamental part of activism. That's that's a part of sustainability, right? It's to take a step back as well. And when I say take a step back, I mean more of a physical, emotional action. It doesn't mean the movement is taking a step back or anything like that. It's hard because a lot of the quote-unquote activism we've seen as college students has been on a university level. And those are hyper-capitalistic spaces that only focused on movement forward, right? And, and we know that, you know, movement isn't a linear process and history is not a linear process. So activism and rest cannot be linear processes either. on from that focusing especially on this year um how has the pandemic specifically affected your activism that's a good question i've been exhausted by the pandemic um it's definitely increased my own personal anxiety the logical answer to that question is first like of course everything moved to online virtual platforms um so a lot of my activism I guess it had to transition to a, a form that I wasn't familiar with entirely, right? So it's Zoom, it's this. So it's been less, I, I think, less effective. And I, it's hard for me to say that as someone who wants all of my work to be relevant or everything that I do to be relevant. But there have been less people coming to things. There's been less opportunity to connect with people because if people have internet or housing insecurity, like they're not going to get on a Zoom call and talk about these things in a format. So you're limiting the scope of people you can work with. Um, so it's been limiting and it's been um, less effective, but I'm still trying to find my way around these things. Last question for you to close this interview off. This is something that we're asking all of our interviewees is what does activism mean to you? I think activism, and I actually, I'm really, really happy you asked that question because I think oftentimes people create an exclusive movement out of activism. They say, oh, me and my activist friends or me and the activist are getting together. And I've heard these terms before. And that's why I'm so hesitant to call myself an activist because I don't want to be associated with an exclusive label. So for me, activism means inclusivity and it means understanding the ways that your personal identity can welcome people in and draw people away, you know? And so it's really reflective inclusivity and it's having a desire to change. It's not necessarily change altogether um, because we know that these processes are slow and a lot of the things that are initiated today can happen for generations to come. And that's why I think the the argument of futurism always comes in is like, because we've, it's really hard to see your work being materialized in the contemporary moment. But I will say like, it's, it's inclusive, it's reflective, and it's um, having a desire to change. Those are my three things. I love that. Thank you. 
Operation Climate listeners, we know that you care about a lot of things and you want to make the world a better place. We encourage you to examine your activism journey, the thoughts and feelings that come along with it, and think about how you can help sustain the movements that you care about. Whether that is educating yourself and the people around you, organizing, protesting, or taking time to rest and recharge, it's always important to remember why you want to engage in activism in the first place. Like Jamal described, the emotions that you have surrounding the cause may be fleeting, but the reason you have those emotions is a fundamental part of your identity that can't easily be changed. Looking to the climate movement, we need everyone's energy and support now more than ever. How will you make a difference? Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Operation Climate. Make sure to subscribe to stay updated about future episodes. For more information on who we are, what we're doing, and a full transcript of this episode, visit our website at bit.ly slash Operation Climate Podcast to learn more. My name is Catherine. I'm Georgie. See you next time.